Okay, welcome to uh, the Downtown Den for our latest event. I'm delighted today to be joined by Philip Cox. Philip is the Chief Executive of the Cheshire and Warrington Local Enterprise Partnership. Welcome, Philip. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Yeah, sorry, in the den, perhaps, perhaps you're in the den. I'm gonna, <laughs> like everyone else, stuck at home. Yeah, I'd rather be in the den. <laughs> It's the virtual den, Philip. <laughs> uh, I've enjoyed our time in, as I can tell you. This is uh, this is where we're all getting used to this virtual world, and we've done over a hundred of these video interviews now, which has been a, an interesting experience, as you can imagine. Uh, yes. I mentioned to you offline we had Claire, your chair, uh, doing an event with us last week. Some very interesting comments and, and issues that she raised but I just wanted to start our conversation really with uh, the challenges that you nobody could have anticipated prior to March and what sort of things local enterprise partnerships yourselves in particular are starting to think about as we hopefully uh, enter a more positive period. Okay well I mean it's it's worth just just kind of underlining and maybe just putting some numbers around the scale of the the scale of the challenge. I mean, before lockdown or before before COVID struck, um, kind of Cheshire and Warrington was about a thirty-two billion pound a year economy. Um, it's you know it's not been disproportionately affected compared to anywhere else, but that still means that we're probably looking at anything between a three billion and four and a half billion pound reduction in the size of the size of the economy. Um, um, four and a half billion pounds, that's got to come out of somebody's pocket and it's going to hurt somewhere and we're really going to notice it. The other thing it's undoubtedly going to do is it's going to increase our level of unemployment. Probably about, you know, we think, uh, we don't know for certain, potentially 60,000 additional unemployed people just in Cheshire and Warrington. Now that's really important because you know unlike most of the rest of the uh, the north and northwest cheshire warrington has been in this really really fortunate position of genuinely having more jobs in its area than we've got people of working age um so unemployment and we have had unemployment but it's been a sort of a a, a, a complex dependency could a characteristic you were unemployed because you had a number of other complex problems and it was already a, a sort of a, a social problem what we're going to have now is just lack of jobs you know people who many people who've kind of you know worked for the whole of their working working lives well qualified well trained but just you know the, the covid has, has, has hit their business and it just doesn't you know they've, they've, they've lost their job um and therefore, number one target for Cheshire and Warrington will be to get those jobs back. Actually, what Cheshire Warrington is going to have to do is it's going to have to learn what actually most of the North already knows about doing because it, it, it where there have been you know kind of areas like you know Tees Valley, sort of the northeast, you know, sort of parts of Liverpool, some parts of some parts of Manchester are you know always look to bring jobs into their own we're going to have to learn from from some of those and sort of get into that uh, get into that game as uh, game as game as well um uh several people have kind of commented i'm sure they, they have done in uh across the across the rest of the northwest and else and elsewhere that you know um 
Um, it's a disappointing person who doesn't kind of make the best of a best of a crisis, um, and um, and partly as a consequence of having a new chair. A new chairs always like to do as, as new chairs should, just just stand back a little bit and think about the objectives of their organisation. Um, we had begun to do that already as the crisis was beginning to to strike and crisis has given us renewed em emphasis and, and impetus to do to do that and what our board has concluded is that we do want to offer you know a, a better future for Cheshire we don't just want to you know, recreate the place that we had and I'll come back to in a minute about kind of uh, even whether that's achievable but we don't just want to recreate you know what we have already we want to create a better place um and that better place is you know we are saying you know it's the healthiest it's the most sustainable it's the most inclusive it's the fastest growing economy in the uh, in, in the uk and whilst i should imagine some of uh, uh, our viewers will sort of think mm, well that's doesn't everywhere want to be that um the great thing about Cheshire and warrington is we've been in an extraordinarily fortunate position of having consistently been the second fastest growing in, uh, place in the UK, so just getting to the top of that top, top of that league table as Liverpool managed this season, sort of you know, <laughs> hopefully won't won't take us twenty years or whatever it whatever it, whatever it was to uh, to achieve uh, to achieve that. Um, that's kind of that's a less demanding ask than it than it might at first sound. Sustainable is also really really interesting. Um, Cheshire West, which is one of the three boroughs in my area, is I think. Um, measured by CO2 emissions, either the third or fourth most polluting borough in the country. Mm. Um, and it's all coming from that, uh, from the SR oil refineries, CF fertilizers, um, and you know, the, the area on the south bank of the Mersey on its own um, consumes 5% of the UK's, uh, UK's energy every day. Um, so surprise, surprise, it produces quite a lot of emissions to go with it. We know what we need to do to decarbonise that. We've got proposals in place. Um, some of that we need government help with, but we know what we need to do. If we achieve that decarbonisation, then um, we won't just be making a contribution towards the decarbonisation of Cheshire Warrington or just the Northwest, but actually measurable sort of uh, for the whole of the uh, the whole of the country. So sustainable is something we know how to do. Inclusive is more of a challenge, and I would be the first to accept that we have done less on inclusivity than perhaps we should have done over the uh, over the years. And yeah, given current circumstances, you won't be surprised that we've included, you know, wanted to be really really healthy uh, in that list as uh, uh, list as well. So we we have a vision about where where we think we want to uh, we want to we want to be and where we want to want to go. Um, the trick now. Is to get from where we are now which is yeah business is starting to come back to life although well, some interesting challenges around uh, around around there um we like everybody else have already mentioned will need to deal with the spike in unemployment that is quite literally just around the uh, just around the corner i hope that we can sort that in a couple of years but i don't know and we'll have to see whether we get sort of second further lockdowns and so on and so forth and then is how we get back on course to that, uh, you know, to that brighter, brighter future. And let's say I, I, I describe it as back on course, but it's a, it's a slight, it's a tack, it's a, it's an, it's a course adjustment 
rather than anything sort of fundamentally, uh, fundamentally, fundamentally different. So absolutely, we've got some challenges. And just sort of me to just throw one more challenge in, and I'll sort of give you an opportunity to get a word in edgeways. But I was structured this morning. Um, the retail stats are out for June. The headline says that retail sales are back at their level at their pre-COVID levels. The difference, however, is the amount that is going online is 50% higher than uh, than it was pre pre lockdown. Consequence of that is, I think, kind of uh, trade going through physical shops is 15% lower. Mm. And I think the worry has to be that okay, it was June, kind of lockdown didn't start to finish until mid June. That might adjust a bit, but there are some messages there, unfortunately, about kind of the, the long-term prognosis for the uh, for the high street, which we probably already knew, mm. but things have been accelerated. And we are, you know, and we, like everywhere else, is going to have to kind of uh, tackle that tackle that problem, tackle that that, that challenge as as well. Yeah, some really interesting points that you make there, Philip, and it uh, again very pertinent, I think, to say some of the changes we were thinking about anyway, but we're going to have to accelerate then. Uh, and in some respects, you know, that will just provide some opportunity. Uh, and I think that's important to recognise there will be some positives out of this awful situation. I think one of the other interesting things, though, is the point you made there about Cheshire and Warrington being seen as largely a place of full employment. And when you think of Cheshire and Warrington, you think of uh, economic growth, you think of uh, quite a wealthy county. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, some of the challenges that perhaps are associated with much of the north are not necessarily things that you would associate with Cheshire and Warrington. So that point that you made, one of the final points that you made in terms of inclusive growth is probably something that you're going to have to priority prioritise, as you say, more so than may have been the case prior to that. But can I, can I just put this point to you as well, Philip? I think one of the things that our core cities in particular have often struggled with is the provision of high quality jobs. And again, if I may say so, Cheshire and Warrington has that reputation of good, high quality, professional, innovative industry sector jobs. In terms of trying to get that balance right between inclusive growth, providing people with job opportunities, but maintaining that high level reputation of good jobs, good employment, uh, high wage, uh, that's going to be quite difficult, isn't it, as we move forward? And I'm guessing that for LEPS, training, skills, education, those areas are going to be something that you're really interested in getting stuck into. Absolutely. And indeed, we the there's there are a lot of strengths in Cheshire Warrington, but kind of our local industrial strategy, which unfortunately never got formally uh, formally published before uh, uh, before before lockdown, um, did identify that um, actually Cheshire Warrington faces its uh, challenges. Um, one of the and to some extent we have a slightly bipolar kind of uh, economy in that we have uh, about, kind of about 20% of our working population working in incredibly high productivity and therefore high wage, high wage sectors, advanced manufacturing, um, uh, life sciences, you know, energy, energy sector. 
we also have uh, probably the remaining 80% working in much lower productivity, therefore much lower wage uh, sectors. And the consequence of that, very, very surprisingly, is that a higher proportion of our uh, working population pre-COVID pre were earning below the real living wage than was the case in Manchester. Right. Um, so, and that's one of the reasons why inclusivity is so important. It's also the case that you're absolutely right, that um, a combination of um, that exception, and I think kind of manufacturing, average productivity per person in the manufacturing sector was 169,000 pounds. Um, that's just, you know, each person who goes to work every day is producing, so, you know, kind of uh, 170,000 pounds a year each. And, and that was the average across 20% of our working population. So that kind of really pulls, you know, the, the average for Cheshire Warrington right up to the point where, yes, productivity per hour uh, was uh, about, um, I think, last year for which we got data, which must be about 2017, productivity per hour was something like 4% above the national average, and we run about only three or four areas in the country that was above the national, the national average. But the gap between the rest of the UK and Cheshire and Warrington was getting narrower, and had those trends continued, um, we would have become a low productivity economy but in other words we would have had lower productivity in the uk in about three or four years three or four years time so we were already already thinking really really hard about how we raise kind of the skill levels of our population how interestingly we encourage some of our kind of uh you know 18 year olds and indeed 21 year olds to either stay um, or go off to university and come uh, come back. We have a very, very small proportion of uh, young graduates, certainly compared to uh, Manchester and to, uh, and to, and to, and to Liverpool. Um, and what that was tending to do um, was it was tending to discourage kind of higher, higher skill Kind of companies, companies that sort of you know to 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 come to Cheshire Warrington. The first question that any you know company thinking about expanding or relocating into Cheshire Warrington would ask is right, where, where am I going to get my staff from? Where is that pool of skilled labour? And the truth was, we could offer you come and ask me for a fifty-year-old, highly qualified, highly experienced manager, and I'll I'll you know I'll form an extremely long queue outside your door. Ask me for a 25-year-old, it's kind of, uh, you know, with a master's qualification, sort of, you know, experienced lab technician, much, much harder to, uh, much, much harder to get hold of. So we were thinking really hard about that. And we've got, um, uh, you know, one of the things that's led, led to is a program called Accelerate, mm. uh, 30 million pound program, uh, which is about, raising the skills levels of existing employees so um and with, with particular concentration on digital skills uh, so they come to us they it's the employer that specifies the course that they want their their their, their employees to do um and it doesn't have to be one that's come off the shelf they can come along and write their own curriculum um we find a provider to lay on that course um we pay 40% of the cost of that, 
they pay uh, they pay they pay sixty percent. Hopefully, what we get at the end of that is um, uh, you know someone with a much higher skill level, particularly around uh, particularly around particularly around digital. Um, doing quite a lot with something called the pledge, engaging with 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds to get them to understand the great opportunities that are available within Cheshire Warrington. In other words, please stay. Um, trying to kind of uh, move them towards, uh, towards, towards STEM. And then also what we were doing um, uh, is also thinking about um, how we attract kind of um, some of those some of those some of those skilled graduates from elsewhere in the country and and, and, and maybe even from uh, maybe even from a, from abroad we have such a, we had such a sort of a dearth a dearth of them you know and all of this to address the trend where again pre-lockdown we were in the incredibly fortunate position of creating jobs faster than uh, faster than the twice as fast as the population was growing but many of those jobs being in relatively low wage occupations and actually Many of those jobs then being filled by people who were travelling in from uh, from North Wales, from Staffordshire, from uh, from parts of uh, parts of Merseyside, even from parts of uh, parts of uh, parts of Manchester as uh, as well, because you know that 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 image of um, Cheshire as kind of kind of the northwest equivalent of of, of, of of Surrey, with with Manchester being the being the, actually isn't true. Actually, we were a net importer of labour every morning. About uh, about a third of our workforce um, was was travelling in from elsewhere, and and actually we were sending fewer people out to the Manchester's and the Liverpool's and this world than than, than they were sending into uh, they were sending into uh, to to us. But unfortunately, and, and very interestingly, a statistically significant difference between the average wages of people who live and work in Cheshire Warrington. And the people who live outside of Cheshire and Warrington and work in the area, with the latter being actually significantly lower than the um, than the than the than the former. Okay, interesting because perceptions can often be wrong, uh, and clearly the uh, statistics that you just offered there, Philip, uh, give me a different impression of Cheshire and Warrington than I had previously. I think I always. Uh, have associated the county with, as I say, uh, being quite a wealthy area and also, uh, you know, a, a world leader in many respects mm -hmm. in things like science, technology and health. And I'm sure uh, that is the case. But as you rightly say, um, that actually accounts for a relatively small percentage uh, of the population. So some big challenges ahead for you. And of course, like all great places, uh, your visitor economy has had plenty to offer in the past and we all know the challenges uh, and the difficulties that those uh, people and the places that uh, do provide hospitality services and those facilities face in the future. Any thought being given to that? Of course, one of the more high profile cases was Chester Zoo. Yep. Um, now they managed to, you know, fortunately raise a fair few bob through a public appeal and that was good to see uh, but nevertheless you know we've got Chester Racecourse we've got some fabulous restaurants we've got castles we've got uh, lots of different attractions across Cheshire so as I say any any sort of conversations happening around that sector yeah no absolutely and um you know one of the one of the things that we did uh 
a couple of years ago, um, which kind of with every passing day kind of looks like a better and better and better decision, was that we made the decision to make marketing Cheshire part of the uh, part of the local enterprise partnership. It was completely it was completely separate, and um, what that now has given us is uh, is the ability um, to work much more closely with the with the retail the hospitality the visitor visitor economy um and combine you know its previous guys on its own independently marketing cheshire would simply have done the marketing for uh for, for cheshire warrington as a, as a sort of visitor visitor destination what we're now able to do is get get marketing cheshire not only to do the marketing but also provide the leadership that that sector needs to sort of come back out of the um uh, back out of the back out of the crisis. So, um, you know, we are working really, really closely with that sector on initially getting the messages out that uh, that that, that, that Warranted is a safe place to come back to, and working with with those businesses to make sure that it genuinely is safe. Um, hopefully, we'll get to the place where people are much more confident about going to places, and we can begin to. Turn the volume up. Visit, visit Britain are, I think, going to give a number of uh, probably actually over the whole of the country some money to uh, destination management organisations, as they're called in the called in the trade. We, tourist boards, do you and me? Um, and they'll be giving some money to kind of run some campaigns for uh, August, which will encourage people to uh, encourage people to come back. Um, the LEP itself is um, working on some ideas that might provide a little bit of financial uh, assistance. But then what we're also doing is providing, you know, advice and guidance and actually running sort of webinars and seminars ourselves just to kind of, you know, exchange good ideas and best practice. And also wanting to perhaps again, hasten something that we were already thinking about. Um, which was raising the, 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 the productivity of that uh, of that sector. You know, some of those you know some of those people earning below that real living wage are people working in the visitor visitor economy. And if we can make those businesses more successful, more profitable, more productive, then hopefully what that will do is that, that will help to sort of raise the raise the income levels for people in that uh, in that in that sector. And, you know, and 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 from that, it's back to that, back to that sort of that digital, that digital thing. Um, you know, a small, a small example. Um, uh, Cheshire has a number of um, of farms that sell ice cream. You know, it's sort of Cheshire Farm being the most uh, most famous, but there are but there are, are others. Um, you know, you can kind of you can sell ice cream by having a very long queue of people kind of waiting at the counter, getting to the counter looking along kind of you know 25 different flavors and you know having your five-year-old spend ages choosing what they want alternatively and this is at least one of the farms has done you can have an elect those those boards that those have been to mcdonald's have seen and sort of probably, probably some of the other takeaways you go press your press all the buttons make your make your selection and then sort of wait for uh you know and then wait for your number to be called um the, you need digital skills to in, in order to in order to do that, but it raises the number of people you can get through. Um, you know, lessens the queues, therefore makes it more likely that people will. You know, how many people have sort of seen the long queue and have told their kids, "No, no, no, wait, come, come back later, or we won't come back at all." Um, 
and and it's and it's and it's all those sorts of all those sorts of innovations and, and using this as an opportunity maybe to get hotels to sort of do a bit of comparing notes and, and exchanging ideas that they wouldn't have done wouldn't have done before and then of course the other innovation uh, and we'll have to see whether this uh, whether COVID creates a cafe culture that you know we all moan and groan that we haven't got after normally after we Spain or somewhere. Of course, in order to sort of raise the capacity for uh, of certainly those you know sit down restaurants and sit down cafes, um, local authorities were already allowing them to you know spill out into the into the street and kind of uh, you know turning a deliberate blind eye to sort of whatever the regulations were saying. And I think actually to be fair, the government may have loosened the regulations anyway. Mm. Um, but again, you know, innovations, uh, innovations there as well. And who knows? Let's let's see whether that's also sort of is something that ultimately, uh, you know, remains a a, a kind of you know, a more permanent feature. But it's those sorts of um, you know having those seminars, having those webinars, getting the uh, getting people exchanging notes, and then as I say, kind of the lab working on some ideas about how we might be able to sort of provide a little bit of financial assistance to sort of help them. Uh, them to make some of those some of those some of those changes now we've been talking about uh, some of the difficulties and uh, as i say many of them uh, not foresaw um but nonetheless uh, you know despite all of these things happening we've got some positives to talk about as well uh, and i think it's been good that the government have uh, basically recommitted to high-speed rail uh, and some of the infrastructure projects that we were all looking forward to, all supportive of. Uh, and I think some of us half feared that there may be an announcement coming down the track, if you forgive the pun, um, that that money might not be available. Uh, as I say, all the messaging coming out from Whitehall appears to be, no, it's full steam ahead on all that sort of stuff. Uh, now, of course, Cheshire Warrington is a big hub for that network. Uh, and so... Uh, as much as we do face some difficulties, as you've well outlined, Philip, there are those opportunities coming along as well. Um, what are the sort of things that you're hoping uh, Cheshire Warrington can benefit from, from those new infrastructure investments? Right. Well, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, I, I too feared HS2. It's a very, very big project. You know, the chances just spent a lot of money on other stuff. Could he afford it? But no, very, very clear messages um, coming back from government that no, absolutely committed to HS2. They are still engaging in the review of uh, Northern Rail, of the Northern Rail network um, to sort of make sure that we make the best of HS2 for the whole of the, uh, the whole of the North and certainly the whole of the North, uh, Northwest. So that's extraordinarily welcome. Um, HS2 is a huge, huge opportunity for, uh, for Cheshire and Warrington. Obviously, it starts at Crewe. Um, and I think really two things about crew. Um, one is aiming to make it a genuine hub. Um, and, and I'll come back to sort of what that means in a second. And a genuine hub for the benefit of Cheshire, North Wales, but also, you know, the southern half of the, uh, southern half of the north, uh, northwest in, in, in rail, but also other, other, other transport terms as well. And then leveraging off that, creating a growth corridor, uh, as we are describing it, um, in sort of starting in crew, but going up the um, up sort of parallel to the uh, parallel to the sort of HS2 route and into Winsford and into uh, into Middlewich with Winsford um, being the sort of the, the location of the HS2 depot. Um, 
and it's a conversation we are still having with government but what we hope we will be we will be able to persuade them is that uh, we should have enterprise zone style powers so if we are prepared to invest in helping development to happen on sites um, close to crew and as I happen to Winsford and Middlewich as well then we will get to retain the business rate income from there for a period of 25 years or so partly to repay we will have to invest we will have had to have borrowed in order to uh, invest in the uh, invest in that in that infrastructure and those buildings so the first thing we'll have to do is we'll have to repay the uh, repay those loans I suspect that um, we may well be told by government if they're going to allow us to do that we may have to uh, take some of that income and put it into the new station that we would like to see at uh, at, at Krug and I'm sure many people on, on, on this webinar watching this webinar will be aware government takes the view that if you want new stations um, and you have to pay for the local areas have to pay for them themselves so we'll have that we'll have that discussion with uh, with government and then if I come back to the back to the station um, uh, crew as a station you know its building and its facilities are life expired in fact I think it's um, um, it is still exercising a dispensation it's got um, from the Disability Discrimination Act on the grounds that um, it hasn't had any serious development um, since that act was passed and therefore I think unless you actually unless you actually undertake that development you don't need to comply which may tell you something about just how old some of that stuff is so um, so we are saying to government look if you are going to bring trains up from London and get them up to crew in 55 minutes up from Birmingham in half an hour and uh, Manchester Airport and so on and so forth we're really after two things one you know is a decent quality station um which not only feels as if you've actually arrived in cheshire but much more importantly it is a pleasant and easy environment to get around and then because the, the, the justification for having crew as a hub on hs2 is there are about i think it's six different railway lines that converge on crew railway lines out in Shropshire and down into Wales in obviously to North Cheshire, Chester, uh, North Wales, obviously up um, kind of towards Manchester, but sort of sandbags going up towards uh, Stockport, down to uh, down to Stoke-on-Trent, up towards uh, up towards Liverpool, and then the main West Coast, the existing main West Coast main line up to up to Warrington. We've said to government, we want a really good set of services. Um, so that when somebody's arrived, um, you know, from London in 55 minutes, they don't find themselves standing on a depressing, old, dingy station, being told terribly sorry, you've just missed the uh, uh, the, 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 the the next train to Chester or to wherever. But don't worry, there'll be another one along in 59 minutes. You know, <laughs> what we are what we are after is um, what we would describe as a turn up and go service and consumer behavior passenger behavior suggests that if um, if the if trains kind of you know if the gap between trains is about 20 minutes or, or less then passengers stop worrying about the timetable mm. um, you know with that type of frequency of train you know you're arriving up from London on average your next train to Chester or down to uh, down to to uh, uh, Shrewsbury or 
or, or, or up into Liverpool is 10 minutes away. Um, and if you've got, you know, decent refreshment facilities and you have just missed the last one and it's 19 minutes you've got to wait, then, you know, it's a comfortable, pleasant station to, uh, to move around in. So that's, so good quality station, um, which we think it's not only essential from that perspective, but frankly, if they don't do it, then shortly after building HS2, I suspect that actually part of that station is going to start falling down. It is that old. There are trees growing out of some of the supporting pillars in Crew Station. Um, and, I, and I do mean trees. I don't just mean weeds or a bit of moss. I do mean full-size trees, <laughs> which I'm sure shouldn't be there. Um, and uh, so let's do the station up now while we've got the opportunity. The station is going to have to close for several weeks, probably in 2024. So let's do the work then. Um, get a decent quality station and then crucially have a good set of services because you know that way you know someone as far out as Hollyhead um, can feel that uh, HS2 is a bit of benefit to them if we don't give them that quality of service then um, then with some legitimacy most people who won't be traveling on a fast train down to uh, down to London most people are going to think that that's fifty billion pounds, and it's done absolutely nothing for uh, for me. And then, really, just kind of, you know, in a sense, of kind of the 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 what I was going to go on and make about kind of the rest of the the rest of the area, really picked up by by that having really good connections to that station. But then also um, uh, Warrington as well, with our other aspiration being Warrington to become the hub that sort of the links HS2. To the uh, to Northern Powerhouse, uh, Northern Powerhouse, Northern Powerhouse Rail, um, and you know putting putting Warrington, you know, pretty much in a similar position to uh, Cruise, and that's a, 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 a an extra few years away, but I think you know is also an aspiration that uh, um, that, that that is that's important to us, and all of that put alongside stuff that we should be doing that makes Crew Warrington Chester the rest of our sub-region a great place to do business and and that ultimately is to the benefit of absolutely everybody get somebody to the position where they're saying um you know i can live more cheaply i can live more pleasantly i can get the skilled people i need i can get great facilities i get great support from the uh, from the from the left and the local local authorities and I can get to London in 55 minutes when I want to be, when I want to get there, which is probably less time than it takes me to travel from, I don't know, Wimbledon to, I don't know, Leicester Square. Um, stick yourself, uh, stick yourself in Cheshire. You know what's not to, uh, what's not to, what's, what's, what's not to like. So, so. Uh, <laughs> I'll, mark, I'll mark you down to move down from Liverpool, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> And I think sticking with the positivity, Philip, um, uh, if you look at the Northern Powerhouse uh, and Cheshire's place within it, uh, two things I think that um, we're looking ahead to, really. One is the fact that working collaboration with Manchester, Liverpool, uh, that science and tech offer that Cheshire has can become a really powerful asset for the whole of the North. Uh, and, you know, comparisons are now being made, aren't they, between what we've got to offer here and the Golden Triangle. And whereas R&D investment has often just automatically almost been assumed to be going to Oxford and Cambridge, 
we can actually really start to compete for that money now, and rightly so, and, and hopefully do better things with it as well. So there's that aspect. And the, and the other thing I wanted to just touch upon in terms of perhaps developing those collaborative approaches is the fact that Cheshire has been involved recently before lockdown in trying to formulate a, a devolution deal, uh, a combined authority, a governance model, which will, again, attract additional investment from government. So I wonder if you could just talk about those two opportunities as well. Yeah, okay, well, let's start with the science stuff, because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we have developed an incredibly kind of vibrant sort of uh, life sciences hub at Audley Park. Um, but that sits alongside and in partnership with, you know, a similar, a similar sort of hub in South, uh, South Manchester and, the, and some real strengths in the sort of the Liverpool science community. Um, if, if I was being brutally honest, I, um, I don't think we've made as much of that as, uh, you know, I've had several conversations with colleagues in Manchester and with, uh, and with Liverpool, and we always tell ourselves we really did, should do something about um, jointly marketing that, jointly developing it, and we've, 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 we've not done as much as we, we, should, we should do. Similarly, in the in the energy energy sector, where I think actually the cooperation is is somewhat better. Mm. We've got a huge amount to you know we've got uh, we've got hydrogen production already. We've got the salt caverns where you can store that uh, store that hydrogen. We've got kind of uh, people who've got um, really really sophisticated uh, proposals for um, really really smart energy networks that 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 ensure that the the energy you're using off the grid at any one time is always both the cleanest and the cheapest um, and instantaneously switching sort of between uh, um, and that being done in sort of close cooperation with uh, with, with colleagues in Liverpool obviously HiNet being uh, which is the hydrogen network which straddles uh, sort of Cheshire and Warrington and also Liverpool but also into, into Manchester but then also um, use of hydrogen for uh, for transport, which is something that Liverpool's very interested in, and of course not also not forget tidal energy, and of course that huge great wind farm out in the uh, out in Liverpool uh, Liverpool Liverpool Bay. So there's some huge huge strengths uh, there, and I think there is more that we can do to push that. Um, we have certainly been trying to encourage the comparisons with the golden uh, with the golden the golden triangle, um, but we can go further, and I'm hoping. That very shortly we'll be able to announce a uh, another big investment into uh, into Audley, uh, Audley Park, um, and then the next thing in the offering is a development partner for the Thornton Science Park uh, in Ellesmere Port, which of course is the old Shell kind of mm -hmm. uh, research and development uh, development HQ. So there's there's a lot sort of going for us, and a lot a lot that we're already doing with colleagues in Manchester and, and Liverpool. There's a lot more that we could do. And let's also not forget, you know, Cheshire Warrington is also, um, you know, part of the MP11, the 11 Northern Powerhouse Leps. And let's not forget that, uh, you know, in terms of clean energy, you've got that, uh, you know, we've got uh, a nuclear engineering powerhouse in Warrington ourselves, but then you've got another really, really strong hub in Cumbria. Um, you've got uh, over in uh, Teesside and Tees Valley, um, an area that is just as advanced in carbon capture technology and, and indeed hydrogen technology as uh, as we are. So there's a huge amount that we can do to work together, not just in the northwest but also with our northern and uh, northern partners. Um, 
And really segueing into devolution, if we had a devolution deal like Liverpool and Manchester have got, we'd have much, much greater flexibility to make some of those things uh, make some of those things happen. Um, you know, at the moment we are having to go constantly cap in hand to the uh, to the government. We've had a couple of instances recently, sort of during uh, during COVID, where um, I won't go into detail, but where we've said, "Oh, look, there is some there's there's something we'd like to do, and we've got the cash over here, and it, and it's fine." And government was sort of said, oh, "Terribly sorry, you know, <laughs> you're elect, not, not a not a combined authority, and therefore you can't do that." You know, um, so we wanted to kind of break out of uh, break out of that now. Government keeps saying it's going to publish a white paper on devolution recovery in, in September, so we'll have to look and see what that uh, what that says. Um, I, you know, I, I think what's important, and I think the kind of the test on the the test on that is whether or not uh, what government is offering are is is sufficient funding and sufficient powers and sufficient flexibility to uh to ultimately persuade our, our local authority leaders that that is something they should go for the price that everybody has to pay for uh for devolution is a mare um uh um i'm going to avoid commenting on the kind of on on, on the successor otherwise of either of the either of mayors that which is way too way too political but what i can say with certainty is you know colleagues in manchester um, were reluctant to have a mayor um, before their devolution colleagues in Liverpool. So, and you could understand why, you know, local authority leaders in our area are kind of saying, well, you know, what is it a mayor that a mayor brings that we actually we couldn't do? You know, those three local authority leaders already work really, really well together. They work really, really well with uh, with us. So the offer on the table has got to be has got to be pretty good, I think, uh, and I think that's. Uh, that is that is important, but you know the the opportunities to you know for example you know that accelerate program I I talked about um, we have built that around European European money mm. um, the amount of money it is costing us um, it's about the same amount as the government spends on the adult on adult skills in Cheshire and Cheshire and Warrington. Now, if we had devolution, um, Liverpool and Manchester have both got control over their own adult skills budgets yeah. and therefore would be able to say that Accelerate, whatever it is that they are choosing to spend the money, Accelerate, when the money's run out, at the moment, that programme closes. We get 19,000 learners through the, through the programme um, and the 19,000 first person gets told, sorry, money's out, no, no more where that came from. We had control over the adult skills budget. We could put that program in place in perpetuity, or for as long as it seemed to meet sort of the needs of the uh, needs of our uh, our area. And I think that's um, you know getting some of those powers is potentially hugely, hugely important, hugely important to kind of you know to give us the flexibility to to address our problems. And I think you know that's the other thing that COVID has done. Um, COVID. Um, you know, it's it's been a bit of a guided missile on some parts of the some parts of the economy. Some parts of the economy have 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 not done too bad. In fact, some parts of the economy have absolutely thrived. You know, um, I'm sure we all noticed the announcement uh, earlier in the week that Hermes wants to take on another nine and a, nine and a half thousand uh, people. 
Um, you know, and I was quite struck by the uh, by the symmetry. The very same day, Marks and Spencer's announced they were making 950 um, redundant. Um, but um, um, but there have been some parts of the economy that have been really really badly hit. Now those parts of the economy are you know they are bigger in some areas than in others, and the current you know one size fits all approach from government doesn't seem to recognise that, I know, you know, Chester has got a big visitor economy. Chester will be affected differently to say Macclesfield where the, uh, where the visitor economy is that much smaller. Um, you know, similarly, you know, coastal, coastal Lancashire will have been very, very badly hit. Um, parts, of this, parts, of the, uh, parts of the city of London, apart from the war having to work at home, probably barely noticed that anything has, um, anything has happened. And you know, we, I think COVID has underlined the importance of getting that, uh, getting that, uh, getting that flexibility. I think the other, the other point that we're waiting for, and the other thing that we're waiting for in the north, for the Northern Growth Body, uh, sorry, for the for the for the white paper, is actually a bit of clarity about this Northern Growth Body. Government committed mm. nearly 12 months ago that it was going to set up this Northern Growth Body. Um, we need to understand what that Northern Growth Body is going to do, how it's going to work. I think that's that's really that clarity. Is also really really important and I think what I would say from a Northern Growth Body perspective is um, that yeah I think MP11 has shown that there really are things you know for example trade and investment funny enough actually uh, some of the clean energy stuff that can be done more effectively and for a greater benefit for the for the North as a whole if it is done at the uh, at the Northern level so very, very happy for the Northern Growth Body to take responsibility for some of those. Let's not have the Northern Growth Body um, interfering in things that are done most effectively, more, more locally, which, you know, local transport, local skills, as I've, as I've, as I've touched on. So we, you know, we, need some, we need some clarity about that um, from the white papers uh, as, as well. Uh, just conscious that we're coming towards the end of our conversation this afternoon. If there's anybody tune in who wishes to uh, ask a question of Philip please type it into the chat room there's a little box at the bottom of your screen that you can uh, do that uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll be happy to take them just bear in mind it's Friday afternoon we don't want anything too challenging or tasking for us at this stage um, just sticking with devolution for a second Philip and I, I, I think you know we would all take the, the point that you make there is the price worth the prize in a sense or the other way around perhaps um, but I think when I'm listening to the announcements that are being made particularly by the Chancellor I, I think there's to be fair to him an awful lot of good stuff in that so you know lots of money that's being made available uh, lots of potential initiatives that we can see uh, potentially at least making a difference. My fear is that we will have uh, that one-size-fits-all approach that you mentioned. Uh, and for me, uh, the significance of what he's announced will all be in the delivery. So that means devolved powers, decentralisation, it means getting that money to local enterprise partnerships, to uh, growth hubs within those localities so that we can actually start to map out what matters and what makes a difference 
in our areas best. And, and for me, you know, this is a debate that I've been long involved in. I'm a big believer, big advocate uh, of decentralization. Uh, and again, whether our politicians like it or not, I'm afraid, what governments want to see is a safe structure from their perception where they can give that money and there is still some legitimacy in terms of accountability uh, and uh, clarity of who's spending that money and who's taking responsibility. So, you know, it, it's an important discussion that's taking place. And how often businesses say to me, why do you get carried away with all this structural stuff? We, we just want the cash. And I get that. But actually, that governance structure, that governance model is going to be, in my opinion, increasingly important. And final point before I shut up, Philip, is that when you have powerful figureheads like Andy Burnham, Steve Rotherham, it can often make a difference because they've got direct access uh, to some very senior politicians. So as I say, it, it may be something that businesses feel isn't necessarily applicable to them, but I think it is an important discussion that, that is happening. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think actually where business would come from is what they want is what's best for the, best for the economy. Um, and there's no question that they have spotted the fact that, you know, Andy Burnham, uh, Steve Rotherham get far more airtime, far more visibility than the um, than the local council leaders do in uh, in Cheshire Warrington. Indeed, to be fair, um, the council leaders themselves recognise uh, yeah. recognise recognise that. Um, you know, the, the 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 business test will always be what's best for best for best for business. Um, and actually, they do get interested in those in those sort of institutional and structural discussions when they can see. That it's got some uh, got some benefits, and I think you know the um, you know I, I, I think the the kind of the the deals that were available to you know in the rounds of devolution that Liverpool and Manchester kind of took advantage of, which you know amongst others you know gave them uh, you know nine hundred million pounds investment pots and so on and so forth. If that were on the table for Cheshire and Warrington, um, then you know I could imagine. Leaders probably saying, "Well, okay, yeah, we'll kind of uh, we'll go for that. We can see that there are real benefits, and um, yeah, but but I think we have to see. You know, one of the things that has slightly hampered the, uh, uh, the debate, um, and we've we've been on the verge of devolution two or three times, and, um, but what's as government seems very reluctant to put its cards on the table and to say this is what is on offer." Um, if you have a uh, if you have a mayor, they almost seem to want to get you to the point where you have committed to having the mayor before they're telling you what you're going to get for it. And um, yeah, I mean, kind of uh, yeah, we kind of you know, we all know that you you don't play all of your cards before the uh, before the other side has played some of theirs. I think so. Uh, we need to and maybe maybe that will come through. Maybe that will come through in the uh, in the white paper, and we'll, we'll have to obviously see what see what happens there. I think. I mean, what I'm seeing, and, and we were involved in uh, in some regards in terms of the devolution deal that's just taken place in West Yorkshire. I say involved, we, we were very close um, to watching how the discussions developed. Uh, and you will be aware that Yorkshire has had uh, many uh, iterations of what a devolution might look like for, for the county. Mm. And so for me, um, listen, we, we have lots of uh, public and private spats 
uh, within our local local authorities across the northwest. You ain't seen nothing until you've been to Yorkshire. So you can get a deal done anywhere. I, I promise you. Listen, I, I, I ask people to to pop questions into the chat room. Nobody's bitten yet. Uh, last couple of minutes. Last call for questions. We may have stunned you into silence. We may, or Philip may well have answered uh, any of the questions that you were going to put. Uh, but the one area that has almost gone off the agenda, but clearly isn't, and is still very much exercise in the minds of many of our businesses particularly exporters is the b word and we've managed to go 53 minutes without mentioning it yet philip i think that's a record uh, one of our conversations um again there will be many businesses i know in cheshire and warrington who are anxiously waiting for some clarity and guidance uh, around what brexit may look like uh, you can never tell with these negotiations whether it's going to be no deal or whether something is going to emerge. Uh, but again, any advice, guidance coming from the local enterprise partnership into what businesses should be thinking about at the moment? Yes. I mean, obviously, we we were heavily involved is it twice now so far that we've kind of got to the verge of uh, of leaving or not leaving, as the, as the case may be, um, with our growth hub heavily involved in getting messages out to business about what they need to do to uh to prepare and we're starting to gear up to do that uh again um the challenge that we find is that uh is that lack of certainty um i've had many many businesses say to me um you know particularly when we were looking down the barrel of a really serious kind of crash out of the eu um you know around about uh, around about christmas um last christmas many many businesses saying that would be really really bad but what's worse is the not knowing yeah. if i know what i've got to deal with yeah. i'll deal with it and if that's a no deal crash out i'll deal with it yeah. but not knowing is incredibly debilitating i don't know whether to invest yeah. in this piece of equipment over here or invest in a kind of an office in Luxembourg or whatever, whatever it is that I need to do. Um, I need that certainty. And I think that's going to be the message that we'll start to get again. Mm. Tell me what I've got to do mm. and I'll do it and it will be fine. Um, you know, and you know, I noticed the government has begun to start its advertising campaign, encouraging people to prepare, mm. but prepare for what? <laughs> and that's the problem. You know, um, uh, our former, the LEPS former chair, Christine Gaskell, um, used to say that most small businesses are too busy starving to feed themselves. Mm. Um, and that's a brilliant example. You know, if what you're saying is um, to a business, if, I wonder whether this, this, this analogy will, str str will, will, will stretch this far, but, you know, if you're saying that, you know, there are multiple different plates of food, but you can only have one of them, and once you've made the decision, about which one to get that's it you've, you've, you've stuck you've spent you've spent all the money that you've got um and that but you could but that yeah you can kind of see where i'm i'm going with this you know mm -hmm. businesses need to know what is it and that's the that's the that's the main message and i think a yeah we you know, the government i noticed is now talking about october mm. it really needs to kind of stick to uh, it needs to stick to that um and businesses do not want to. I mean, yes, you could invest in all the things that you need to do, um, 
uh, that are necessary to sort of cope with a sort of no deal crash out. But given that you've probably used up any reserves that you had sort of during uh, during during COVID, um, to be told at the end of that process, oh, actually we've done a deal, and now you must go and sort of spend all that money again on on preparing for something rather different from what you had prepared for. It just yeah, it's it's not going to work. It's 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 going to create massive problems. Governments really just need to tell us what the deal is. Let business prepare. You know, if there is a deal, but just tell us one way or another. Um, let businesses prepare. Yeah, great points. I, I've spoken to a number of uh, politicians from both sides recently and said exactly that, Philip, that, you know, this idea that Brussels negotiations always go down to the wire and somebody will blink at the last minute. It's the last thing businesses want to hear because, as you say, we've got to have time to prepare. Uh, and I think if COVID has proved anything, it's that actually the bigger the business, the more difficult it can be sometimes yeah. for them to be nimble and to pivot and to, uh, change direction in the way that they may need to uh, if that Brexit deal um, looks like either, as you say, a crash out or something different. Yeah. The sooner we know, the better. Uh, yeah. Listen, it's been great chatting to you today. I think, as I say, it's been a wide-ranging discussion. Uh, we, we've not had any questions in the chat room, I think, because, as I say, you've covered things in a, in a very comprehensive fashion filler for which i'm very grateful we would love to get you along to a face-to-face -face live event in cheshire in the not too distant future i hope uh, you, you'll join us at some stage I, I will do yeah i will look forward to, i will look forward to that it's been great chatting to uh, to you as well and yeah let's hope that we can meet sort of you know live and kind of <laughs> talk to the real talk to the real people rather than over the uh, over the virtual airways yeah one of those fantastic hospitality venues we were talking about earlier absolutely absolutely have a great weekend okay. Philip. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks. all right cheers then cheers, cheers. bye-bye